Good morning. How's everyone doing? Good? I'm going to steal this here. You guys have a nice pad. I hope you enjoy your country church for a while, because I can see when I drove in that it's not going to be a country church for a lot longer. Uh, put that there for later. Um, yeah, I was driving in, and I'm like, all right, where's this church? I'm watching my GPS, and then I turn, and there it is, the highlands, looking out at nothing. And I'm like, and I look over there, I'm like, well, that's going to be full in like five years. And I'm like, what a great pad you got here. I'm like, this is awesome. So congratulations. I know you guys have been hanging out trying to graduate um, from your school, uh, but now you've done it, so good for you. Uh, I've, I've been out here uh, to speak, done a few parenting things. You might recognize my face from a, from a little advertisement we, we had. We did the parenting seminar. This stage is funky. I didn't walk on the stage before I came up here. It has bubbles in it. Did you guys? You might not have ever been up on the stage. Okay, um, that was just distracting. Sorry. It's like well, I keep moving. It's like it's walking on the wall. It's like walking on a waterbed up here. It's very interesting. Uh, I uh, we did a, a parenting seminar at Woodridge, uh, which was greatly attended by many of uh, the folks here at the Highlands at. Mercy Hill and at, at Woodridge. Uh, right now, I serve in the capacity at um, a place called Bienemy Farm, uh, which is some of you may be familiar with the Evermore community, uh, but it's a ministry that serves adoption families. And so uh, I am the director of programs and operations there uh, currently and love to, to work with many families that are actually from this church here. But if you have not heard about our ministry, uh, it's free, so that's always a good thing for adoptive families, and we do everything from equine-assisted learning. Equine's a fancy name for horses. Uh, we do uh, nature engagement, we do art, and we do respite work for uh, families if you just need, if you're a family that just needs some time away from your kids in the sense of to be restored, because we love our kids, right? We don't really need to be away, but sometimes we need restoration. And so we have a, a farmhouse there that you can come as an adoptive parent and stay in. So if you or someone you know uh, might benefit from that, please chat with me uh, between services. Um, I, I just want to say that uh, one thing that I've just really been impressed with uh, in, in this process, because I, I might not be familiar to you, but uh, you are familiar to me. I mean, I'm friends with Pastor Aaron and Cal. They come out to the farm. I know little Jonas. I know little Laney. Right? I've spent time with Pastor Brian. I've spent time with Pastor Brody. And you guys have an amazing pastoral staff here. And I just think you just need to give, give everyone a round of a, a hand for your, for your team, right? This is your team. We don't always appreciate the people, and we, know, we do, but we don't really say it. And so uh, I just want you to know, if you can find your pastoral staff and tell them how much you love them and appreciate them, uh, it goes such a long way. Uh, and then we've had some great... Uh, Lay people, right? So that's, that's the fancy term for people that are not on staff, like myself. Uh, we had Brad and Kelly sharing with us from the book of Ephesians, and I'm going to kind of continue that work here this morning. Uh, I, I remember I've always been in the church ministry kind of world, and I can even remember from a young age going to a church explosion uh, growth type thing, and one of my favorite uh, pastors back in Australia, Danny Gugulamucci, if you can say that word three times fast, that's a that's good Greek Greek background, right? I can remember being 16 years old, sitting in a church explosive, uh, well, explosion kind of thing, how to grow your churches, and he taught this principle, it's no, it's no friendship, no function. 
no friendship, no function. And he would talk about how he wouldn't bring people into his church that he wasn't friends with because the church is too important. It's too precious to just bring any person into your church to share the word of God, try and sell some books. And back then it was books and tapes, right? Remember those little cassette tapes, right? Tapes or CDs. He said, unless I have a friendship, I'm not going to bring them into my church. And I want you to know that I'm a friend of this church. I'm a friend of your pastoral team. And, and so your pastoral team, as they've asked me to just come in, and Pastor Paul says, hey, can you come and, and share uh, at the Highlands? I said, I'd love to, um, because I just believe in this church. I believe in the Aspen Grove Network and what we're doing. And so I just appreciate the opportunity to share with you uh, this week. So we're, we're going to continue our study in the book of Ephesians. Now, last week, Brad, Brad came and he shared. Now, we have to kind of wind it back, because... I, I'm going to speak on the chapter, the, the verses before what he spoke on. He had the hard ones with all the list of stuff. Remember, he was talking about having a shower, having to wash off all that old self all the time, right? And then he was, he was talking about this, this list, not giving the devil a foothold. That was a piece from, from last week. Uh, but I'm going to be kind of backing up, and we're going to start at, at this chapter 4 here. And before we do that, though... Um, and I want to throw up a little map of, of Ephesus so that we know. Now, as, as a person, as a kind of a background, uh, my, I left Australia, so that's where I'm from. Uh, so I grew up, born and raised in Australia. I left there. I came over to the U.S., and uh, I wanted to be a pastor full-time. Called a ministry at 16. I was deathly afraid of Monday to Friday in the church, so I went and studied social work. And I minored in theology, so that's, that's what I did. And I studied social work in a little town called Sioux Center, Iowa, Dort College, if you've ever heard of it. And I got off the plane at 1 a.m. on the most humid day in Iowa, and I smelled a smell that I'd never smelled before. Right? And I'm like, oh no, what have I done? I woke up in the, the next day at someone's house I didn't know. I walked out on their porch. They weren't home. I just, and there's just corn for as far as I can see. I couldn't see a building. I didn't know where I'd landed. But I, but I managed to get through uh, my social work and minded in theology there uh, because I was going to be a pastor. I met a girl from Wisconsin. The last thing my mom said when I walked down that little tunnel to get on the plane was, don't find a girl. Her name's Katie. Uh, she's from Appleton, Wisconsin, and we met on the first day. That's so sorry, Mom, about that. Uh, but we, you know, and uh, we got married, and uh, then I went down to Springfield, uh, Missouri, and I studied the Assemblies of God Theological Seminary down there. And I went there because I continued to follow this journey to be a pastor, but I had the social work degree, so I felt I needed to go to seminary. But when I went to seminary, I thought, you know, I have this clinical mindset, this background, and so I, I went and I studied uh, uh, clinical psychology at the Assemblies of God Theological Seminary. And, and that was where God began to move in my life to say, you are called to be a pastor, but not maybe one that stands behind a pulpit every week. Because I felt like I was really called to be a medic in the army of the Lord. And so that's kind of my pastoral bent. But I love the Word of God, and I love teaching. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about what, what, in my background, if you, if you kind of grew up in the 80s in any kind of charismatic Pentecostal movement, we would talk about these things called the five-fold ministry. I don't know if anyone's heard of that. It's called the five-fold ministry. We're going to talk about it in a minute. But I realized in that moment, I was like, I only had three of the five, so I'm not sure if I can have a five-fold ministry. Uh, but one of my gifting is in, in teaching. And so when I teach, I want to kind of just bring that in together as we look at Ephesians. Now, I like to know kind of where things are in the world. Uh, so here we have Rome up, up there in the left. See Italy over here? Can you see it? And then 
This is a much bigger map, Brody, than I sent you, but that's fine because I just got to find Ephesus. So here's Ephesus. Can you see it there? It's like just, I feel like I need a pointer. It's so small. Right there, under Asia, right? So I want you to picture in your mind that Paul, he is in prison. Now, he's not necessarily in prison, prison. So theologians believe that he was under house arrest, which means he could roam, roam around Rome, no pun intended. He could kind of hang out, but he couldn't leave. Okay, so he's in Rome, but he's very familiar with Ephesus because he was in Ephesus. If you pick up the book of Ephesus, it actually starts in Acts 19 because that's when Paul's there. Paul goes into Ephesus and he begins to talk to them about, about this, this God and this Savior and Jesus. Uh, and, and one of the things you know about Paul is he'll either start a riot or he'll start a revival. And that's what's kind of happening uh, in Acts. You can read about his riot there because he's shutting down all of the... All the sales and all these guys are getting mad at him. So he leaves. He gets under house arrest, but he loves the church at Ephesus. And so because he can't go there, he begins to write these letters. He actually has four epistles that are called the prison epistles. Ephesians is one of them. Philippians is one of them. Colossians is one of them. And Philemon is one of them. And these are ones that he's written to the church because he can't get there. And this would have been considered like a circular letter which means he would have sent it to them and they would have shared it around the church, which I think is really interesting to our setup here at the Aspen Grove. We have, we have a Paul as well, right? Pastor Paul, right? Everyone's got a Paul, I think. we got Apostle Paul. we got our Pastor Paul. And I think you know, you know he, likes to, he likes to go to Door County. That's where he kind of does his breaks. But imagine, which he'd be like, this is a great sermon, right? Imagine if he got stuck in Door County and he's under house arrest in Door County and he can't come to see us. He might write us letters, but it wouldn't just be a letter to the Highlands. It would be to the Highlands. It would be to, to, Wood, uh, to Woodhill. It would be, be over to Mercy Hill. And we would read that letter, right? So this is what Paul is, is kind of doing in, in this deal. In chapters 1 through 3, he's kind of been telling us about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be saved, the resurrection, uh, faith in Jesus, these, these sorts of things. And then we, we start to learn about his unity, and now we're going into uh, chapters 4 through Six is where we're going to pick up today. So as we do that, let's pray as we read the Word of God. Let's pray uh, as we take this time to dig into this Word. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you that you have given us your Word, a rich source of information about who you are, what you've done for us, how much you love us, how much you fight for us, how much you desire us, you're yearning for us, Lord. But you also led us to give us direction and instruction and hope and healing. So, Lord, I just pray that your anointing would be upon this message. Help us to hear and listen and take away something that brings life today in Jesus' name. Amen. Here we go. Chapter 4, verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord then, some, some versions will say therefore, and you might have heard this. Oh, quip. If it says therefore, you need to ask, what's it? Therefore. So therefore means because of one through three. As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and there is one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Verse 7, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does it mean, he ascended, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? 
He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave, here they come, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip the people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we each reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure and fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of the people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth and love, we will grow and become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body is joined and held together, and every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I'm going to do three things we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about a call, we're going to talk about a community, and we're going to talk about a commitment. If you ask my wife, what do I love the most, besides her, of course, right? It's important to put that in there. It would be movies. I love, I love movies. And there's a lot of guys in here, probably a lot of ladies in here, but guys, we like our, we like our movies, right? I love movies. And in my Bible, uh, I have this written down. When I was asked to speak on this, I went, and, I went and wrote this down. I don't know when, but I wrote it down. And I was like, I, I wrote down Miracle 2004. Now, I didn't write Miracle 2004 because God did a miracle in my life in 2004. I wrote down because it's a great movie that was written 2004, and it was Miracle on Ice. Remember that? Of the 1980s hockey team. I mean, this is Minnesota. Everybody knows that, right? And I was writing this, and I'm like, man, this letter from Paul, Coach Apostle Paul, is like Kurt Russell, right? And I'm picturing this movie in my head, and, and the Apostle Paul is sitting there, and he's looking, and he's like, here's the list. Here's the chosen. These are the ones. And, and, and the assistant coach is sitting there. He's like, coach, coach, um, we've, we've left some of the best players on the ice. And he says to him, says to Greg, Greg, I'm not looking for the best players. I'm looking for the right players. Right? That's an epic piece. And then there's this other piece in the movie, right, which we all know, and I would show it, but we don't have time. And, and everyone's seen this anyway, I think, if you haven't, go watch it. Uh, but, you know, it's, and they play in Norway, and they're just kind of messing around, and then coach is mad. So he's like, get out on the ice, you know, and everyone's leaving. On the line. They go down there. What's going on? What's going on? Oh, coach will tell you when you get out there. If you're not going to play in the game, we're going to do it now. We're going to work now. Go. Earlier in the scene, you might remember this, this thing he's doing this. They called them Herbies. That's what they called, the guys called them. We then later called them suicides, right, which we can't call them that anymore, right? So then we started calling them killers, you know, and now I think you just call them overwhelmers. I don't know what you call them now, but that was what we called them, right? They called them Herbies. And they did in this, this, this scene at the beginning where it's like, who do you play for? And they'd say, oh, my name's so-and-so, and I play for the Minnesota Gophers. And he'd say, again, right? And they were all like, I'm this big deal. Again, I'm a big, big, big deal. Again, right? And they're doing this. And in that scene, they're dying out there. And then finally, Mikey Raziano sends up. And he says, my name's Mikey Rosiano. I'm from Massachusetts. And I play for the United States of America. I play 
for the one. Very good. Everyone go home. This is what I'm thinking Paul, Coach Paul, is telling us, right? He's got this, you've been picked, you've been chosen, right? But until you can figure out that the name on the front of the jersey is a lot more important than the name on the back, again, again. You've been called to this team. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing one another in love. Be a nice team to play on. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you are called to one hope when you are called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. You've been chosen by God the Father as his prized possession to be a part of this team. But maybe you have never known what it's like to be chosen. Maybe you're one of those people that have gone through life where it's like, I don't actually ever get chosen. I'm always last to be chosen. Or if I am being chosen, you don't really want me on your team. And maybe this is about God saying to you, you need to be humble and gentle and patient with yourself. Bearing yourself in love making unity within yourself. Or maybe you're on the other side where you've always been chosen, right? Team Jesus. I was meant to be on the Olympic team. I was born for this, man, right? And maybe to that it's like, then you need to figure out how do I do these things externally to others? Do you know what it is to present with a spirit or a character of humility, to be patient with others, to be patient with yourself? See, being chosen also means we have responsibility. Now, I have a definition of responsibility, and it goes like this. If you're taking notes, responsibility, teach this to your kids. Responsibility, my ability to respond in an honorable way to the demands of my environment. My ability to respond in an honorable way to the demands of my environment. Responsibility, sometimes you can't be responsible because you don't have the ability. So we got to learn the ability, Right? I have the thing that I love. There's this word. I wrote it in my journal years ago, and it's called magnanimity. It's a good word, isn't it? Magnanimity. Greatness of mind. That elevation of dignity of soul which encounters danger and trouble with tranquility and firmness, which raises the possessor above revenge and makes him delight in acts of benevolence, which makes him disdain injustice and meanness and prompts him to sacrifice personal ease, interest, and safety for the accomplishment of useful and noble objects, magnanimity. And I really believe that God is calling a people to embody the virtue of kingdom-minded magnanimity, to be a person that is chosen and selected to be on this team. You are chosen for a purpose and for a place. Isaiah 41, 8, 10 says this, But you, O Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, God calls you my friend. This is my friend. No friend, no function, right? My friend. I took you from the ends of the earth. From the farthest corners I called you, and I said, You are my servant. I have chosen you and not rejected you. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. He's called you. He'll equip us. And you have not only been called, but you have been called to a community. To each one, 
Grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the apostles, the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Unity and united, right? Until we reach that unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. As I read this and as I was thinking about it, it's like, what an experience to you guys here at the Highlands are living out this letter. Why? Because I'm a teacher. And here I am. I don't go to this church. I go to the one down the road. But we're brothers. We're sisters. We're family. Right? And when we have a need, we, we bring it in. Right? We, we share. We, we raise up these things together. This is, this is unity. We have unique gifts. Now, let me talk about unity real quick. Unity is not conformity. Some people read this and they think, oh, you're asking me to conform to everyone looks the same. Everyone does it the same. Everyone teaches the same. Worships the same. That's not what unity is. That's conformity. Unity is about rallying around the same things, the same purpose. My wife and I are unified in how we raise our family and set our standards. But we don't conform to one another very often, right? My wife is a CPA. She's a partner at a CPA firm. We actually have a little bit of a role reversal in our traditional gender setups, right? I'm crying, and the kids run to me when they hurt themselves, and my wife's like, just rub some dirt on it. They'll be fine, right? It's just like, whoa, you know? But we, we work together. It's great, right? We have this great relationship. But we don't know. We're not conforming to one another, but we are unified. We believe in the same things. We might get there a little different, but we're patient with one another. So don't confuse unity for conformity. I always think of the archetype going back to our movies. Remember Voltron for you old, old guys in here? Did anyone remember Voltron? Two guys. My brothers. <laughs> unity, man. That's where it is. Voltron! And if you were a Voltron guy, right, there was actually, the, there were lions, there was five of them, and they'd come out of weird places, and then they couldn't fight the robo-beasts, right? And then one of them would go, ah, and they'd all, and they'd all join, and then it'd be Voltron. You bring this big sword out, it's like, yeah, right? Satan, you're in trouble now, right? But if you're a real Voltron fan, you had to have the argument whether you were the cat's Voltron or the, or the spaceship Voltron, because it was two of them. Right? It was a big, you know, divide of the church almost, right? And then after Voltron came Power Rangers, right? Same, same, but different, right? Couldn't do it by yourself, so you bring everyone else together, and then we defeat them, right? And then we got rid of that, and we brought in, you know, the Avengers, and that seems to work for a while. I don't know what, but this, this is an archetype. This is this idea that we come together to fight that which stands before us. And Paul is calling the church to be a team that locks in and stands against the things of this world. The untruth that Satan seeks to have you and I believe that takes our attention away from the cross and the truth that we are deeply loved by God and wants a relationship with us. So what of this grace that has been given to us? Christ has called us all gifts, but at many times you downplay that I'm not good enough. Well, you don't really want my gift. I'm not real good at this. It's not really a gift. But grace has been given to you. And I like to think of grace as being Christ's margin of error. Not that Christ makes an error, but that it's his margin of error. Because if you've got grace, you have the space to maybe not do it exactly how you want to do it or how you think it should have been done. 
Grace is getting what we do not deserve. It's a giving action. You may have heard it explained that way. Grace is getting what we do not deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. My daughter just got a license. <clears throat> Talking about kids with cars is always a good way to talk about grace and mercy. <laughs> so if my daughter backs her car up, now she's got a 2002 Lexus, <clears throat> no backing camera, right? No beeps. I mean, it's a throw your, your hand on the back of the chair kind of deal. Remember that? We used to have to act, look before you drove, right? So she has that. But she didn't grow up in that world. So she'll back out like looking, 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 looking. Oh, yeah. It's not going to beep at you. It, you will just kill whatever's back there, right? Looking, right? But let's say she backs up into the car, smashes the taillight. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Now, I might say to like, well, oh, you just blew that. You obviously can't drive the car. You're obviously not responsible enough. You know, I tell her to get back on her bike, but kids don't ride bikes anymore, so that's not very helpful, right? But what Grace might be is saying, here, take my truck. But Dad, I, I just, yeah, I know, but, but this is Grace. You don't deserve, I'm going to give you this to do right now. Mercy on that same thing would be different. She goes, Dad, 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 I'll pay for it. I know you've told me if I break the car, i got to pay for it. And I say, yes, that's right. You do deserve to pay restitution. Mercy is saying, I will pay it. I will pay it for you this time. And that's what Christ does for us. Grace allows us to try. Grace permits us to get in the game. Grace may be what allows us to get back in the game. I like to think grace turns fear into courage. Grace turns fear into courage. I'm too afraid. They're going to laugh at me. They're going to reject me. They're not going to accept me. Grace turns fear into courage. It's not the absence of fear. Courage is recognizing fear and moving forward. In Romans 12, 3, I'm not going to read it all, but it says, For by the grace given to me, this is Paul, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think with sober judgment. By the grace given to me, Paul says. And I'm like thinking, is he the one that's like, I'm way better than all you guys. Who am I thinking? I'm not better than them. Lord, thank you for your grace. The grace given to me, I'm going to now share with you. Right? Think of it this way. He's not asking for, 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 for perfection. He's asking for passion. The passion for the gospel, the good news, to love one another as he loves you, to create a community that builds up, not tears down, that gives hope, not despair, who, where we enter the church, our homes, and even the way we talk to our family, that each one of its experiences and knows what it means to be loved. Christ gave the church people with talents and gifts to build up the church in the knowledge of Jesus and the hope that is found in him. Finally, you've been called to a commitment. If we accept that we've been called to this team, if we can own and internalize the role and the position and purpose and the function to deliver it, even if we're still practicing, even if we're not real good at it, right? Romans 6, grace abounds all the more. Verse 14, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by every cunning and craftiness of, of the people and the deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to come in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now I'm going to show you something that I do at the farm quite a bit because I think this is a really good lesson. Okay, and, and then I'm going to call the worship team up because I know when I call the worship team up, it gives hope to the people, right? It means like, oh, good, he's almost done. But before they come up, I'm going to do this. 
Okay, I want you all to, I want you to do this with me, okay? This is, even for you introverts, you can handle this. There's no talking involved, no shaking, no touching of your neighbor. It's just, just you and your both hands, okay? Here we go. So everyone, I want you to clap with me. Ready? Go. We're going to stop on my count to three, and it's going to be on three, okay? Not like three and then stop, you know how we kind of not sure. One, two, three. Great. That was so bad. Okay, everyone take a deep breath in. All right, now we're going to do it again, okay? This is easy. Ready? Here we go. Stay with me. Ready? Here we go. Stay with me. Stay with me. One, two, three. Okay. Deep breath in. All right, here we go. Do the first one again with me, right? We'll all go together. Ready? Here we go. One, two, three. Now, which one felt Better. Now, you're adults here, so you know this. If it's the kids when I do this, I'm like, the second one, Mr. Todd, that was funny. Right? But as adults, we're always like, the first one. Why? Because you didn't embarrass me. You didn't make me feel stupid. I could follow along. And what happened is, that's called rhythm. Right? Johnny Cash wrote about it. <laughs> Get a rhythm. Right? <laughs> I don't know where that came from. This is extra. Right? That's rhythm. That's synchronization. That's unity. This other thing is, is like a version of COVID, right? And we called it asynchronous. It's called asynchronous, asynchronous learning, right? right? We don't like that. In fact, many times when we do that, you're like, give up. You're like, oh, forget this. I was on your first clapping thing, but now I'm really feeling stupid. In fact, forget it. I, I can't. I, I'm going to fail. I'm not going to do it, right? We come to church, we sing songs, we do this because synchronization builds unity. All great communities rally around songs, and poems, and literature, right? Because we connect that way. When you have a baby and they are dysregulated, it's a fancy term we use, right? Dysregulated. What are we going to do? We're going to pick them up and we're going to get a rhythm. We're going to move them. We're going to move them around because it regulates us. It brings us into unity. When we're working together, when a child is born, it is regulated by someone else. The mother usually regulates the child or the father regulates the child. And then as they get a little older, they what we call co-regulate. We do it together. And hopefully if your child grows and is doing all these things and working along and gets the right atmosphere, they get to self-regulate. But here Paul's saying, if we can get this rhythm, if we can get this unity, then we will no longer be what? Infants. Trying to clap, whatever, right? I'm going to call the worship team back up. I don't know where they come from. Okay, there they go. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what happens if they drop from the ceiling, but that's how it works. Uh, kind of call the worship team back up here as we kind of close out. If we're committed, we will lock in together our gifts, our talents to form a hedge of holiness where truth and love and belonging and hope and faith abound all the more. You have a people that are coming into these spaces over here across from your church. And my question is, are you going to be locked in? Are you going to be a church that is unified, rallying around the one? So that when they come in, it's like there's something different in here. This church feels regulated 
regulated bodies regulate bodies. That's why we do horse stuff. They're big bodies, and they regulate our kids and our families. We are a body of believers. Regulated bodies regulate bodies. The church of God is God's idea from the start. Before the foundations of the earth, Ephesians 1, he sought to have a relationship with the people. He could pour out his blessings, his gifts, and lavished upon us. He desires for this community, often referred to as the bride of Christ, his love, his desire to radiate common unity. Common unity. Community. That's the call that we have. That's the community we want to establish. And the cry of Paul's heart, God's heart, I think our church's heart is, can we be committed to this journey together? So as we conclude Paul's locker room talk, like the church at Ephesus, this letter continues to speak to us. We've all been called, chosen, selected to be a part of God's family. If you have not been, if not felt that you've been called, then today's that day. You have a part to play. You have a place in this community. We have to lock together. We have to repent and turn away from the things where we strive to be a church that is building up what God's entrusted to us, to defend the church with the truth found in the Word of God, knowing we are called a community and committed to faith. My favorite movie... My favorite movie, though, is Gladiator. And if you have not seen Gladiator, this is the helmet that Maximus Decimus Meridius wears. Right? He goes into battle, and he says to those that are in that situation, he says, whatever comes out of those gates, We've got a better chance of survival if we work together. If we work together. Let's pray. Lord, you are an amazing God. You're the best coach in the world. Help us, Lord, to listen to you. Help us to really take what you're teaching us and put it into our hearts this morning. Help us to be a church that accepts the call, knows the call, internalizes the call. Lord, a church that comes together as a community around the one and give us the passion and the commitment to lock our shields together. Lord, you said in Matthew 16 when you were talking to Peter, upon you, Peter, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail, no matter what comes out of those gates. If you stick with me, they will not survive. As a way of celebrating that community as we go into worship, I just want to invite you to, to also come and participate in communion. We have servers up here for communion. If, if you'd like to self-serve, it's at the back corner over here gluten-free is on this corner over here. But as we worship now for a few more moments together, find a space to remember the community you have through the communion and the remembrance of Christ's death and resurrection.
as he gathered in that time around the Lord's table to stick together until the day of my return. So as we worship, um, please take the time to come and receive the elements uh, as God leads.